Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, video games, and more. I'm Tara Scott. I review queer women's fiction at the Lesbian Review, Smart Bitches, Trashy Books, and Lambda Literary. And this week, I am actually recommending another queer documentary. And I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer with almost 20 sapphic books. And I will be recommending a Netflix series. So we want to start off just with a big shout out because a couple of people supported us on Kofi. If you don't Yay. know what that is, that is a site that lets you support your favorite content creators. And we do have a link in the show notes if you're interested. If not, totally cool. But we want to say huge, huge thank you to Peggy as well as Shawnee. I hope I'm saying your name right. And Shawnee included the note, thank you for being. So honestly, just thank you so much to both of you. We so appreciate your support. Yes, thank you. Now, Chris, <laughs> today, by today, I suppose I mean the day that people are actually listening to this. May 10th. Is a week from, that's right, May 10th, which is a week from when we're recording, mm-hmm. is a very exciting day for you because it's your book birthday. Woohoo! Yes. Weekend. What is yes. it? Where is it, it? And what's it about? Okay. It is called Forever and it can be found on Amazon. You can find it Barnes and Noble. You can find it Bold Strokes Books. It's everywhere. It's general release day and it is about a queer dating show, reality show. So it's behind the scenes and also in front of the camera. So it's kind of fun. I had so much fun writing this book. Well, they keep not making queer dating shows, so we need more books right. them until it happens. Right. I think it's important. I think Australia has a, I want to say a lesbian bachelorette now, maybe? Something like that? Do they? Or was it, I thought the story out of Australia was two women on The Bachelor ended up falling for each other. I don't know, but I'm going to go <laughs> with both. Let's just go with both and be queer happy. I'm into it. Okay. <laughs> also in two days it's your real birthday it is chris are you finally able to drink i am finally able to drink and i'm still waiting to get carded but i'm now finally able to legally drink in my country hooray so i think it would be great if anybody wanted to support chris for her birthday the best way you could support her for her birthday first of all if there are any of her books that you haven't read pick one up like forever Maybe, maybe read it leave a review exactly forever nobody's read forever yet unless right unless you're a reviewer (laughs) unless you're a reviewer or one of those people who bought it early off the bold strokes books website so if you are one of those people another great way would be to donate to your local animal shelter because we all know animal shelters are near and dear to your heart they are i love them i love them so here's the deal (laughs) Uh, it's quick story amazon had it was national pet day yesterday on amazon I don't know if it was National Pet Day in real life, but there were all these like really good deals. A lot of shelters need leashes and harnesses and I couldn't pass them up. I literally couldn't. So I kind of went out of order on my Patreon uh, because every month a new patron or a different patron gets to pick their shelter. I went out of order and uh, I had KB Draper. I picked her. I called her up. I said, I need you to pick a shelter because I'm buying all this stuff and I'm delivering it to my house so that we can take it somewhere. So pick something. So for June, she's got June donations and we're going to find a shelter around the Kansas city area and uh, go deliver all these goodies. But I mean, the thing is we're trying to get as much bang for our buck as we can. 
Yes. And when you have a deal like, you know, $5 leashes, like the real heavy duty kind and five and $10 harnesses. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to jump on it. So yeah. I did. So, Good for you. Yeah. Yes. I love it. So Chris, I heard you did something pretty interesting and pretty powerful on the weekend. You know? Uh, yeah. So I went to a rally. Uh, Grain Valley is a few towns east of where I live, like about 15 minutes from my house. And the teachers in the school district have safe space rainbow uh, stickers in their classrooms just to let the queer kids know that they could go there if they were being bullied or just needed a, a place to be themselves or have somebody to talk to. And one parent in the school district, one parent complained to the school board and they shut them down. They're like, you have to take the stickers out of the windows. It's, you know, it's there are too many people have complained and it was one person. So I thought it was going to be a good idea, and I'm glad that I did it. They organized kind of a rally to support the LGBTQ youth at Grain Valley from high school to the middle school, and it was great. There was probably about maybe 70 people that showed up with signs Mm -hmm. and just to support, and it was great. And like I get out of the car and I have my huge uh, progress pride flag, you know, it's like three by five. And I'm putting it, I'm, I'm going to tie it around my neck like a cape. Yeah. And this little queer kid comes running up to me and says, can I, can I help you? Can I tie that for you? And I'm like, absolutely. And they said, I'm really good at it. And I'm like, oh my God, yes, I want to take you home. You're so adorable. I'm here for you. I didn't say that, but that's what I thought because it was so cute. And so then they tied it for me. And so for the whole rally, I was wearing this like a cape and it just felt so good to, to go out there and. And just support our queers. Mm-hmm. For sure. Wow. And with things like the don't say gay bill in Florida Ugh. and states where getting gender affirming care for your trans kids is becoming illegal. It's so important. It's necessary to show up. Right. Say something and do something. You know, and, and. I don't, I don't have any kids, you know, I just, it was one of those where it's fairly important and they need, they need safe spaces. Kids do. And I just, and I don't think you need to have to have kids to know it's the right thing to do to show up and support. And when you were, for some reason, because you told me the story a couple of days ago, we were actually supposed to record this a couple of days ago. And I had unfortunately uh, microphone issues. So we decided to postpone it. And it didn't strike me then, but to just now, the way you described it and this kid saying, I'm really good at it. And my first thought was a kid shouldn't have to be good at prepping for protests. Right. Right. Exactly. The kids are because the kids are the ones that are standing up and they're doing something and it's so good. Right. And it was amazing how many people were honking for, you know, to support everybody. Um, you know, there are a couple of asshats because that's what you're going to get with any rally, but it was, it was very enlightening. And they, they allowed, there was a microphone or a, um, a loudspeaker, a bullhorn or whatever it's called loudspeaker, I think. And you could get up and tell your story. And so many, so many kids did. It was great to hear. I mean, I was, I was crying how many times, like the whole time I was crying because <laughs> mm-hmm. I cried everything. <laughs> so it was. Yeah, I just, it was, it was, it was absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad that, you know, the teacher showed up, that other students showed up to support, to show their support. And I think one 
kid, one teenager actually came out at that rally. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know. And then one parent was crying about because she went to that school back in graduated in 1992 and it was awful for her. So her story made everybody cry. And so everybody wanted to hug her, but we're like, it's COVID. So, <laughs> so it's like, well, you know, what do you do? Wait, so so, I know, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very, it filled my heart, you know, to, to see people gather for something so important. So yeah, that's what I did last Friday. So when you first told me about it, was on Sunday and now it's Tuesday night, May mm-hmm. the 3rd that we're recording this. And so we're actually recording it the night after the Roe v. Wade uh. draft leak. How does it feel like in light of that, which so many people are talking about having ramifications for other rights-based cases? Mm-hmm. And the expectation that LGBTQ rights will be next, which frankly, like we were just saying, it's already happening anyway. Right. Does it change the way you perceive that event? And do you see yourself showing up for more in-person activism? Oh, for sure. It shows you how important it really is. I mean, it was important last Friday and it was important all weekend. Mm -hmm. And now it just hit hit a crisis level where... Now we're going to, we have this one thing that could disappear. And now they're going to, first it's women's rights. And then it's going to come down to gay rights, LGBTQ rights. And we're going to lose the, uh, the right to get married. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be next. I mean, it was such a fight to get that. How many decades did it take? Yeah. And it just only takes, you know, one freaking court to, to take it away. So I feel like I'm moving to somewhere. It's either in your basement or Uruguay. You know what? Come to our basement. Okay. <laughs> it's closer. <laughs> um, I know this is a time where, well, and I mean, honestly, like we're recording this on the third. It's going up on the 10th. <laughs> Who even fucking knows what happens in the whole next week? Like it feels like the pace right. of change is so hard to keep track of. But if I've been seeing anything right now, other than, you know, anger, fear, despair, all those things. Right. But there is that desire to do something. Mm-hmm. And of course, please, please, please plan to show up and vote like your life depends upon it in your midterms in November. I mean, I know I'm saying that from Canada, but like the, literally the whole world is watching you and right. watching your country to see what's happening. And this actually is our, our listenership is is pretty global, which kind of surprises me sometimes. And, you know, when I see like, oh, we have listeners in India and in Russia hey! and in, like literally all over the world. And we are so grateful for the listeners everywhere. But I think if somebody's listening to this show, no matter where they're located, we want these rights to continue to exist. In right. Earth. So if you want to do something again, if you are American, please plan to show up and vote. And also yes. I put a link in the show notes. There are many, many, many abortion funds across the U.S. And I know it can be hard to know which to choose. And, you know, if you have one that's local to you, please donate it to it. If there is one in a state that is, you know, 
you have a fondness for that state. It's, you know, in your heart and you really care about it. Obviously give directly to that. But in the show notes, we are putting a link to where you can support the National Network of Abortion Funds and your donation will be split between more than 80 funds across the U.S. I was able to donate through my workplace giving program and my company matched my donation. So I will also say if your company has a workplace matching program and has software for that, donate through that. If you're going to get a match and more money will go to like, now is the time we need that support out there as much and as, as quickly as possible. So yeah. Cause once that hits, I mean, if it, if it goes away, it's immediate. I think it's like 26 states. Yeah. It's Missouri, my state. Like yeah. they're probably the first ones going, okay, let's board up the doors. Too bad. Yeah. But now also it's- in the meantime, if you have an appointment booked, if you know someone who has an appointment booked, you can still go. Right. It is still legal. Right. So do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. I know. We, um, I checked with, uh, as soon as, as soon as it leaked, I reached out to my friend Morgan, who's in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. and she was obviously extremely livid, and they were already putting up barricades because they knew. Yeah. The police knew that this was, it was already going to start, and it sure shit started. Like, they are protesting mm-hmm. already, so... Yes. Anyway, it should be should be really uh, stressful next two months for us. Uh, I think it's like two months or so, six weeks, yeah. eight. I don't even know. It just sucks. So interestingly, on a completely different note, but perfectly timed, <laughs> we did get a listener question from yes. one of my best friends. Chris, would you like to read the listener question? <laughs> yes, I would love to. The question is, what is the most comforting read you would recommend that you have revisited again and again? Stacy was very clear. So, <laughs> one of my best friends, she uh, asked this question and <laughs> she even put in brackets, that's not who's your daddy because I already know about it from you, which I'm like, okay, a little teeny tiny read in there at the same time, perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> she enjoyed it. So that's good. So I thought about it. And I mean, the first thing that sprang to mind really is something I've been talking about all over the place recently, which is true. Yes. I have read, like when I really need a comfort read, I would always go to the truth and measure fanfic. Of course, now I don't need the fanfic. So for me, I was having a rough time, I would personally go and read truth and measure and then immediately keep rolling into above all things which by the way, both parts are out everywhere now. So you're safe to go <laughs> thing. I know it's not necessarily going to be everyone's cup of tea, mostly just because some people are not into age gap romances, which this is some people are not into workplace romances and they do start with Jules reporting to Vivian. I'm also, I almost said Andy reporting to Miranda, but the <laughs> uh, nope. the fanfic. So if you need something that doesn't have one of those, then I would actually say my other one is All That Matters by Susan X. Maher, which is a friends-to-lovers romance between these two women. The thing that I find interesting about this one, very much like Jericho by Anne McMahon, is that it's a friends-to-lovers, but we actually get to watch the friendship form from the very beginning, from like when they first meet. Mm-hmm. And then it's like this, so the, they become friends and a genuine friendship develops and then it becomes romantic and then they get their happily ever after. And it's very lovely. Mm-hmm. So Chris, 
What about you? So I'm just going to tell Stacy that I'm not answering that because <laughs> I'm going to answer it like what is my favorite like comfort movie that I go to every time. And the reason why I say that is because it's hard to, you know, write as much and then read as much and then work as much. So for me, it's always easier for me just to turn on the TV and, and have something playing in the background. And I will stop every single damn time if I'm scrolling through like what's playing on television because I'm old school and I still have cable, but I do stream. Like I said, it's mainly for noise, but every time while you were sleeping is on, I will watch it every single time, every time. I love it. It's that is my comfort movie. I mean, back in the day, it used to be Pretty Woman. Like I can recite that movie almost like line for line. I haven't watched Pretty Woman since high school. Right. See, I but I know it. It doesn't hold up, does it? Can it doesn't it? hold up. Well, you know, no, it doesn't. Hold, it's like <laughs> friends. It's like all the friends lover out there. You got to give it to me because I'm putting up with you loving friends, not you personally, but like the people who love friends. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hilarious, but it's also didn't it didn't hold up well and neither did Pretty Woman. But I, I like it. It's one of those. It was from my childhood. I say my childhood. It was from my early youth. Ish. My childhood. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so that's true. So that was a movie that I would watch over and over and over again. And I think just because they were so pretty, like Julia Roberts is so pretty and Richard Gere is so pretty. Yeah. And it was just and it was pretty woman. And, you know, it was just kind it of an interesting. With the right. Time. Everything about it is wrong, but it was one of those. And, and I love the music from it. But while you were sleeping, so far has held up. Hmm. All right. I think. I don't know. <laughs> so, what else on a different note have you been reading or watching lately, Chris? I watched over the weekend Luca on Disney Plus. It was an adorable movie. Gay undertones, big time. Gay undertones. I say undertones, overtones, oh, whatever. Undertones. Subjects. Undertones. The subtext. subtext there you go subtext uh super cute movie about very quote-unquote colorful sea monsters that if they come out of the water they turn into humans so it was really cute <laughs> so you saw it yeah so okay, you, i did yeah. see it no, I was just, I, yeah i was just making a joke I'm, okay. I'm just saying you're like as he comes out of the water i was like yes much like the closet <laughs> that's true it's very gay it is gay it's cute it's a cute movie and like I think kids would love it because it is very colorful and there are a lot of things going on that's true to kids. Yeah. You know, there's the the kind of the bully and and the kid that stands up to the to the bully and so it's just it's cute. I and love it's the gay. Girl. The girl, the 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 little girl that's their friend, mm -hmm. so cute. She's so spunky. And I also I don't know when I think of that movie every time in my head I end up with a hey stupido. <laughs> <laughs> It takes and place in Italy, FYI. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I also watched the movie Ambulance because I'm oh. dying for like, you know, action. I love action movies. I love them. I watch them all. But then COVID hit and then the action movies were pretty lame. So now we're back yeah. to, you know, making movies. And so I watched uh, Ambulance with Jake Gyllenhaal. It was okay, but it was like nonstop, like motion. So it was perfect for me. It feels like action movies have largely, and I don't know, I've I've kind of floated this with a couple of people who mostly raised their eyebrows at me. So maybe I'm just like totally full of shit and I don't pay attention right. to the movies. Hit me. But like, it feels to me like action movies have largely been taken over 
by like superhero and Star Wars movies. Like there's so many superhero movies coming out. And if it's not a superhero movie, if it's not a Marvel movie, then it's a Star Wars movie. And like, yeah, there are some DC ones. Oh my God. Speaking of which, I know we're not at my part yet, but <laughs> welcome to Monday. <laughs> right. We're in fact, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Oh shit. Uh, that's right. It's Tuesday. We are, it is a Tuesday and we are punch drunk because we've been angry for a day. <laughs> for sure. So yeah, I'm going to go to what I've been reading or watching. So last weekend, Neil handed me an edible and said, you want to watch the Batman? <laughs> oh, <No. laughs> so uh, so have you seen it? I couldn't get through it. Neither could I. I think we <laughs> about 40 minutes and then yes. our youngest came and interrupted us. And then I was quite happy to never keep watching it again. Right. It is so stupid (laughs) you know i have never really been a fan of batman like that isn't my jam it is a very dark like the whole thing is dark everything about it is dark and i but i've kind of started them all like i've seen a lot of them but this one i just didn't finish it was like eh, i should be writing so yeah it was just it was and it's edward edward is the batman Oh yeah, Robert Pattinson. So yeah. here's the thing. Like, I do actually think it was a pretty good bad movie, but then it just like it got slow and who cares? But right. Neil had seen it in the theater, and I was like, "Wait, you want to watch this again? Like, did you like it?" And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> I said, oh, "Okay, <laughs> this is an auspicious beginning," and I'm really glad I had the edible because, of course, I laughed a lot more at it. But the whole thing is like, what if Batman? But we take it completely seriously. And then that's like, for me, that's what makes it hilarious because it's not serious. It can't be that serious. And as soon as you make it that serious to me, it flips almost all the way back into camp. And Mm -hmm. I just found myself laughing at moments that like, I don't think we're supposed to be funny. I could just not laugh at them. And even there's this one point it's the first time you see him in the bat cave so he's been out batmanning around gotham city and he goes down to the bat cave and he's like getting out of some of the costume but he takes the helmet off and he's blacked out around his eyes with mm-hmm. probably grease paint but i don't know maybe some kind of eye uh like black eyeshadow and because he didn't want like the the skin showing with the mask there which makes sense utilitarian reason but because he'd been all sweaty because he was beating up bad guys and that takes a lot of energy and you sweat a little bit and then it's like this black makeup that's like going down his cheeks a little bit and i turned to neil and i said oh my god is he an emo batman and he said (laughs) yes which again to me is the stupidest thing (laughs) yeah that's a tough movie It was so, so bad. I'll probably never finish it. I don't care. I had a lot of fun laughing at how bad it was in the beginning. Yeah, it was. And I can usually watch a movie. I can usually like, even if I just have it on, just to have it on. But it was just so like dark and miserable and never like there was no happiness to it. I'm sure maybe it came afterwards, but I don't know. I didn't stick around to find out. So, yeah. Because I would even say some of the other Batmans were fun. And like they were deliberately fun. And this didn't have that. Yeah. And I I don't know. Like Star Wars. But what new Star Wars movie? Do what, what? 
I, is there a new Star Wars movie? Mm, probably no. at one point. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars person, and um, there hasn't really been a Star Wars movie in a couple of years. But The Mandalorian and mm-hmm. Boba Fett, you know, there's just other things that came out. But as far as like, I'm answering your question from like 20 minutes ago about (laughs) (laughs) about like the action movies. I think, yes, like there have been a lot of like Avengers and then like offshoots of that. But I feel like there have also been and I don't know why that's the case. I mean, I feel like there have been some action movies, but and I've, I've rented every single one. I'm not even kidding you. Like if it has any sort of possibility of being an action movie, I've rented it. And I've watched it. So it's out there. It's just, they're just hard to find. They're not as blockbustery as, as, you know, the Marvels. You know what we need? We need a gay Fast and Furious. Or we can just take Angelina Jolie from Gone in 60 Seconds and pair her with, oh, the girl from Fast and Furious. What's right. her name? What is her name? Uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Michelle Rodriguez. I think so. Yeah. There you go. Done. Yeah. Give me a queer Fast and Furious series, please. Okay. Or offshoot. Give me an offshoot. That would be fine. But otherwise, what have I been watching or reading? Yes. Besides awful Batman. The Batman. (laughs) Besides the Batman. Uh, (laughs) So I feel like I've kind of been at loose ends because Drag Race is over. (gasps) Yes. Season 14 is over. Congratulations to Willow Pill, who is absolutely a fabulous queen. I know I was rooting for Lady Camden in the last episode. Lady Camden didn't win, but was in the top two. And Lady Camden and Willow Pill were absolutely my top two. Oh, God. It's just kind of like, it feels like the rhythm of my week is off. It's kind of like when I stopped going to church and I was like, what is a week anyway? What am I doing on <laughs> Sunday? And now there's just like, there's no drag race for a few weeks. I'm like, what? On a Friday night. But I am super excited about All-Star 7. I think that's the most excited I've been about a series in forever. So in terms of books, I feel like my reading brain has been a little bit broken lately in terms Mm -hmm. of my Kindle. Like my relationship with my Kindle has not been the best as of late. But my relationship with Audible has been fabulous. Nice. So I finished last time I mentioned I was reading Jonathan Van Ness's autobiography over the top. It was excellent. Oh, good. It's really a really, really wonderful autobiography. Like I mentioned last time, it's, you know, very raw talks about, uh, you know, the trauma from childhood sexual abuse and drug addiction and sex addiction and a minor stint with sex work and, and kind of like just his whole journey and you know some of his relationships and how that went and and how he ended up like i think this came out in 2019 so he was working on queer eye at the time so it was basically up to and including how he ended up on queer eye oh. and now i'm listening to his new book which is called love that story observations from a gorgeously queer life it's so good i'm almost done and honestly for both books if you're going to read it do yourself a favor and get the audiobook. Like just I'm sure it's fine reading it with your eyeballs, but like it's so so good in audio because JVN reads it himself. Oh god. It's exactly kind of what you imagine. It just feels like he's talking to me and just like sharing all these things. And love that story is not a memoir. 
And actually, observations from a gorgeously queer life is a pretty good way to put it. It's less raw, and each chapter has a different theme. So each chapter is kind of like an essay. And so there's chapters where he covers cannabis and body issues. There's one about turfs and how that really made him change the way he... Because he was a huge Harry Potter fan. And basically, you can sum up that chapter with, like, fuck J.K. Rowling unless she wants to apologize and, you know, make some just make some gigantic donations to trans organization uh talks about imposter syndrome and the hiv safety net because he's very open about his own hiv status it's really really good and there was one chapter where he talks about learning more about the queer history of his hometown quincy illinois which for queer eye fans you'll remember quincy from the episode when they go back and they make up kathy they do like the makeover on kathy dooley his old high school music teacher you know, it was it was really cool hearing him talk about how like he didn't realize he just thought it was such a conservative place. And like it is it is a conservative place. Like I'm not gonna mm-hmm. say it's not. But he had no idea like the rich queer history that was there. He didn't know about the gay bar that was uh, owned or hosted by by this uh, fabulous drag queen who made everybody feel welcome who came in and kind of all that. And I thought, huh, I wonder about the queer history of my hometown where <laughs> where I grew up because uh, he was specifically talking about where he grew up not where he lives now because he lives in LA and so I didn't dig into Calgary's history because that's where I am now but I looked up Windsor Ontario which is where I grew up right on the Windsor Detroit border I grew up about a half an hour outside of it in a little bedroom community and I was actually shocked I came across an article where they interviewed a local history teacher who had done like a ton of research into all of this. He's a, he's a queer man. And there's this like really, really rich history that goes way back in that area. And so I thought I would share um, a little bit of that. Cause I just found it so interesting. It actually starts in 1842. So first of all, the fact that there's even information that goes back right. far <laughs> is incredible. Literally 15 minute walk. From where I grew up and where some of my family still lives, there were um, there's a, a a fort that was there, and two of the soldiers, two men, were arrested for sodomy. I mean, unfortunately, some of these things I'm going to share at first are not happy stories. They were arrested for sodomy. They were sentenced to hang. They were believed to be one of the first cases of people who were sentenced to be executed for participating in gay sex. I guess. Thankfully, the governor general was like, "Um, let's not kill these dudes." Please and thank you very much. So um, unfortunately, they stayed in prison. But like, that's as far back as it goes. And really, like, that far back in Canada's documented history. There was also a local police auxiliary in Windsor that was set up to patrol the local parks. Everybody thought it started because of a serial killer. And there was a serial killer, but it was because the serial killer was targeting gay (sighs) men who were seeking sex in those parks. And that auxiliary wouldn't have happened without it, which I have mixed feelings about because they're mostly just looking for gay men. Canada's first bathhouse raid was actually there. It's largely forgotten because it was small. There were only like nine people who were involved, but that was the very first one in 1964. And that particular bathhouse was actually really important because it was part of what was called a gay commute between (laughs) Windsor and Detroit. So often gay men from Windsor would go over to the bathhouses in Detroit and gay men in Detroit would come over to Windsor because like if you were from Windsor and you were arrested in a bathhouse, you would end up in the local paper. You would be ruined. (laughs) 
if they went to Detroit, they would be protected, which I thought was super interesting. The first AIDS death in Canada was in Windsor, which again, I was just like, holy fucking shit. So many firsts, which was a little overwhelming to read about all in one place. But it was also pretty amazing. Some of the other stuff. So like it was Windsor was the third city in Canada in 1977 to include protection for sexual orientation and its collective agreement with municipal wow. employees. Right. There was well, a, yeah. There was a law professor from the University of Windsor, which is where I have my undergraduate degree, Doug Sanders. He was the first openly gay man to address the United Nations in 1992 to talk about protecting minorities. And of the eight couples that went out and fought and were, were responsible for same-sex marriage happening in Canada, one of them was from Windsor. Wow. And so I just thought... And again, this was before, like all of this, I was looking up even before what we, you know, learned about with Roe v. Wade and the potential implications for LGBTQ rights and all of that. Like, I found it so interesting and also empowering in a way, really, to see. And there were other there there were other cases of like people fighting and winning rights and all that. And specifically people from where I grew up that were responsible for this, for this progress that we've had in Canada. And I just found it so heartening because, again, it was that, like, I, I think we've talked about this before on the show. And it's probably going to become a theme. We've done this before. Like, as a people, the community have come together before. And we can do it again. And, like, seeing those examples and knowing that they came from the same place I came from, I found really, really inspiring. And so I would say, Look up your hometown's LGBTQ history. Learn about it. Draw strength from it, too, and see what it inspires you to do. Well, so interestingly enough, mm-hmm. Cindy Rizzo, uh, she sent me a, a link, and it was for a PBS documentary on a community called Womantown. And it's here in Kansas City. But- well, it was here in Kansas City. Yeah. So. It says here, a group of women in 1980s Kansas City band together to defy gender norms, transforming 14 city blocks in the Longfellow neighborhood into a revolutionary community by and for women. So I knew none of this like that. I was just stunned. And it was actually like it was at its peak between 1991 and 1995. And I think the highest the highest uh, amount of people or members there were 80 i think 80 was the highest amount but like where was i i mean i wasn't old enough to be there but (laughs) right it was just i didn't even know about it until until cindy from new york sends me a link about some place that's you know 15 minutes from my house i had no idea and it was just amazing to uh to, to watch this it's only like a 26 minute documentary and I've seen it twice now, and I'm actually going to participate in a Zoom that they have coming up. Yeah, like the original members, and Whoa, it was kind of so cool. I know, and so so that's cool. So that so that a lot of the people are still around, and some people have moved on. Some people actually moved to Kansas City because the real estate at the time was unbelievably cheap, mm. and one uh, couple lived in California, they sold their house, their tiny little, I forgot what she called it, mm-hmm. uh, but tiny little house for 185000 and bought a mini mansion 
in Kansas City in this district. In this, it's a uh, historical district. Oh, she, right. they bought this for a hundred thousand cash. Yeah, I know. So like, there was this whole. I missed this whole movement of of this community trying to come together and and just be safe women that had a lot in common that were like-minded and it just I guess it just didn't last that's sad because I always joke with my writer friends like we should get we should buy a huge house and like here in p-town and we all live here or come here and stay here for writing dates or whatever and Mm-hmm. You know, so the idea has always been out there, but I was surprised that in my hometown, they actually made it happen. That's so cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So you're right. Look into your history. There's going to be right. a lot of rich stuff there. Well, when I come to Kansas City, we can go tour it. Yes, because I I'm not, I haven't been yet. Ever since I saw the documentary, I was like, oh, I haven't been. Uh, I can't. I mean, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm you working. Got, you got a job. You got a podcast. You're writing 90 <laughs> books. <laughs> I got things to do. I mean, I'll find the time to actually go visit the area, but, uh, and I'm sure there are still lesbians around that area, but, uh, it just kind of like it started, they said in the eighties, but like it hit full force. Like when it was an actual legitimate community, it was only for four years, but like the whole thing went on for several after before and after that. So I'm going to go find my people. I'm going to see if I can watch it. I bet I probably can. There's a lot of PBS stuff on uh, Canopy, which is a subscription service that's available through the public library systems. So I don't know. Why not? I'll send you the link. Maybe it works. Send me a link. I will. (laughs) So Chris, what is your official recommendation this week? Okay, so I wanted something fresh and young and queer to watch just to feel good about life. Mm. So I picked Heartstopper, mm. which was the most adorable and wonderful story about coming out. So many people are talking about the series on Netflix. It just came out probably like last week or the week before. Mm-hmm. And the blurb is this. Okay. Teens Charlie and Nick discover their unlikely friendship might be something more as they navigate school and young love in this coming of age series. So I did not, I wasn't going to recommend this until my experience at the rally and how important it is for young queers to know that they have people they can talk to and and that it's okay to be gay. It's okay to be queer. And so after seeing that, I was like, oh, for sure, I need to watch this series. And it was absolutely adorable. And I loved it. So We have Charlie, who is 14 years old, and he is out and proud, and he has three best friends at school. He's kind of a, their little, their little group, you know, it's, it's, they're all a little bit different and uh, they all get teased, but that's okay because they love each other and they're a great group of friends, right? Right. So in secret, Charlie has been kissing this boy and I think his name is Ben and Ben's a total asshole you know, good looking, sporty guy. And he only uses Charlie just to kiss, just to practice and like fool around and stuff. But in real life, when, or not real life, but like when he's around a bunch of classmates, like he treats him like crap. Hmm. Charlie like crap. He's, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, and they meet later. I'm sorry about that. Kiss, kiss, kiss. And then just treats him like dog shit. So he finally has enough. He's like, I'm done. We're done. We're over this. And in comes Nick. And Nick is on the rugby team and he's like super sporty, super popular. You know, the girls think he's just adorable. 
And honestly, I, I loved him as well. I just, I want him as my son. If I could have a son, it would be, it would be Nick for sure. <laughs> so, right. And he's not even, he's not even, you know, he's not big or buff or anything like that. You know, he's just a 14 year old kid and yeah. you know, he's okay with Charlie being gay. He starts off, you don't know anything about him. And he just, he's, he's very protective of Charlie. You know, he's friends with him. He doesn't care that his buddies don't like him. Like, like Nick's rugby buddies don't like Charlie because he is gay. Mm-hmm. And so Nick's like, I-, I don't care. Like, and he actually invites Charlie to become part of the rugby team because they need another person as a, um, like a, like a sub. They need a sub. They don't have anybody to substitute and they just need a body. And he's like, you'll never have to play. It's okay. So of course, Charlie's (laughs) developing feelings for Nick. So he's going to do it because, you know, think of all the stupid shit we did when we were trying to impress somebody we liked. Yeah. Thank you. I I still do that. (laughs) (laughs) So then it's kind of interesting as, as the show goes on, there's like eight episodes and uh, it, it goes pretty quickly. It's, it's pretty fast. Nick is trying to, you find out he's trying to figure out his own sexuality and he's really struggling with it. So he goes online and he he types in, in the Google search, you know, how do you know if you're gay? And he takes a quiz and he finds out he's 62%. You know, and he's like, he's trying, he's, he's really trying to figure things out. And so finally he and Charlie kiss mm-hmm. and he's like, look, I really like you. I'm not comfortable coming out yet because I don't really know what I am. So Mm -hmm. can we keep this private? So Charlie's like, great, here I go again. You know, I'm back in the closet, you know, but it's a total different experience. It's a positive experience with Nick because he's open to like, let Charlie's friends know that they're together. And it's just such a, such a great story. And then he finally comes out and he comes out as bi and it's just, beautiful. I mean, the whole, it's just such a good feeling and every freaking person should watch this series for sure. Like mm-hmm. there, I have nothing bad to say about it. It's nothing but cute. It, it's heartfelt, you know, especially after seeing, you know, the, the shit that went down in Grain Valley for sure. Everybody who has ever struggled in school, which I think all of us have, and it's just a good, a feel good movie that reminds the world that, you know, how hard it is to be gay and coming out it's, it's easy for some, but not for all. Mm-hmm. So the struggle is real. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great, it's a great series. I recommend it very much. It's so, horrible. It is. You need to see it. It's really cute. All right. So, mm-hmm. Yes. What is your official recommendation this okay. week? <laughs> I know what it is. Hint. Spoiler. I know what it is. Hint. Spoiler. I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Twice, right? <laughs> no, you Actually, one time. Now, right. you probably watch this one just once. Right. Uh, so my recommendation this week, like I said at the beginning, it's another documentary and it is called Maplethorpe. And it is about the prolific gay photographer, Robert Maplethorpe. This actually came in as a recommendation from one of my colleagues at work who mm. said, have you ever watched the documentary about Robert Maplethorpe? It's incredible. And I said, all right, you've piqued my interest. <laughs> And I mean, I was kind of interested anyway, because, you know, I think I talked last year um, on the podcast about listening to Patty Smith's mm-hmm. book, Just Kids, which is about her relationship with Robert Mablethorpe, you know, kind of her, her early childhood and how she came to New York City. And he basically saved her one day and he was, a you know, they were together as romantic partners and then they kind of remained as friends and all that. And so I thought, well, 
yeah. I mean, this is exactly because uh, I'm still kind of interested in that period and that scene and the intersection of like the punk scene with like what Warhol was doing and, you know, Patti Smith and Robert Maplethorpe are all a part of that. And so uh, the first thing I'm going to say is that if you want <laughs> to watch this, it's an HBO documentary. It's not safe for kids because there's a lot of Robert Maplethorpe's photography and a lot of it is just erotic. There are lots and lots of penises. They show photos from his ex collection, which is all, you know, very provocative and includes a photo of a man fisting another man. Actually, I think it's him fisting another man. Maybe there is also a photo like the very, very famous photo of him with the, the handle of a, a bull whip in his anus. And so like I said, not for kids, safe for kids. <laughs> not safe for kids. Perhaps not safe for your parents, depending on who you are. In <laughs> not safe for my parents, for sure. Not safe for mine either. And so the whole reason they did this, they anchored it kind of around the fact that there were these two shows, I think in Los Angeles that were happening, right? They basically decided these two museums were both going to put on a show, a retrospective of his work at the same time. And, they, and so it was like bringing curators from two museums together. And so we see them sort of talk through little bits of it. And then it goes basically through his life. And so it really starts with his early life. And you mm -hmm. see photos of him as a child in the 1950s with the same little dorky haircuts that every little boy had in the 1950s. <laughs> And his uh, sister talks a lot about his childhood and then his youngest brother actually shows up quite a bit in it as well, because right. at one point his youngest brother actually becomes one of his assistants and goes through his various relationships really focused largely, like it focused a lot on Patty Smith at first and they had her um, speaking. She was never on camera, but she was interviewed and, and speaking in it, which is again, not a surprise. She still speaks fondly of him to this day. And we get to see, you know, the, the last lover that he lived with and some of the lovers that he had in between. I have to admit, I was kind of surprised that Sam Wagstaff barely featured in it at all because he was one of the ones like, I'm trying to think of how to tell this. So they showed the man that he started cheating on Patty Smith with, who was uh, one of the men he was photographing and he was a model. But then like Sam Wagstaff was the money. Mm-hmm. And everything I've, I've read about them, and I haven't read either of their biographies, and I will at some point, um, but my understanding is that, like, so Sam Wagstaff just fell completely in love with him, let him take, like, photos of him that he never would have before, bought him, like, a penthouse, but they stayed in relationship until Sam Wagstaff died. And I feel like that was kind of one of the parts that was missing for me because it kind of immediately went on to, and then he fucked this guy and then he fucked this guy. And then he, cause he banged a lot of people, but he also banged a lot of people when he's with Sam. Yes. Because well, he said that it was just for love. I mean, he was with Sam for love and money, yeah. but with the other guys, it was just sex. But did you, did you notice that too? Like for me, it kind of felt like there was like, okay, and these are the photos of Sam. And this is sort of what Sam had to say. Sam bought him the penthouse and then Sam kind of disappears. And then, right. he out, and then on this date, Sam died. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I thought there would be more about Sam, but I guess there is not. 
I found it really interesting. So I knew that when he was with Patti Smith, he was making jewelry. And that was kind of one of the ways that he was creating art. And it was kind of to try to bring in a little money for them. But I didn't realize that his shift into photography actually really started with making his own art from porn magazines. Like he grabbed gay porn magazines and he would, you know, cut out the pictures and he would do different sort of artistic things to them. And then from there was like, I need more material because magazines are expensive when you have no money. Although I have to think film was also expensive when you had no money in the 1970s. And I thought it was really, I, I appreciated how much it brought in the fact that he was untrained. He's not like he went to art school, but he didn't go to art school for photography. That was never a thing. And so And this idea, like the way different people were talking about him and that like with the models, especially and how he would say, you know, like tilt your head this way and lift it this way or turn it this way and tilt it like this. And this like he had this specific it was almost like he didn't know what he was looking for until he saw it. Mm. And then the idea that or maybe he did. And I, I and I'm wrong. I don't know. It's hard to say. But also that, you know, people would like ascribe all of this deep meaning into a photograph. And then it would cut to somebody who knew him who would just start cackling and say, he didn't think like that. He just liked what he took the photo of, (laughs) which was so great. It was very open about his sexual appetite. Like I said, it had many of his lovers in there. It talked about his relationship with the Mineshaft, which was a members only gay male BDSM club in New York City. When I was looking up a little bit about that, because I was like, okay, well, apparently I want to read about the Mineshaft now. This is interesting. Uh, one of the fun facts about it is that Freddie Mercury is wearing a Mineshaft t-shirt in one of Queen's official music videos. I love this so much because I feel like it's one of those, like, if you know, you know. Right. And so it just happened and nobody said you have to change that because how would they know? I don't know how to feel there's this whole section of it that I don't really know how to feel about and I don't know if it's up to me to kind of come to feelings one way or the other anyway I don't know anything about photography I uh, you know I was barely alive when some of this was happening all that but it talks about how there was a phase like basically the latter phase of his life he was only photographing and having sex with black men well I don't think he was only photographing because he also like as because he ended up with AIDS and then he was photographing anything and everything he could as quickly as he could before he died to build up his legacy. But like he had this very specific focus on black men and I felt like it was a real choice by the filmmakers to acknowledge that there that he received criticism because it came across to many and you know there were black people who spoke up about it as fetishization and 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 in a problematic way and I felt like it was a choice to have his defender be um, a black woman he was friends with in college and so by having her say well he photographed what he loved and he loved black men and it's like that was supposed to be the thing to make it okay. (laughs) And that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And I get that, like, if that's her impression, that's her impression. But it felt like whoever was putting the documentary together really wanted to make that the truth and make that the definitive answer 
on whether it was problematic or not. And I, I don't, I don't know that that was fair. I don't know. Did you have a take on that when you were watching it? Did it stand out for you at all? It did not stand out for me only because I am a photographer, which is weird because honestly, I'd never heard of Maplethorpe before. Is that because you're you're not into game Uh, photography, perhaps? That could be, that could be it. It's the way most of his stuff is black and white and the contrast between black and white, the starker it becomes, the more powerful the picture is. And so I just, so I didn't even like when he, when they said it, I was like, oh, okay. It it didn't even dawn on me of any sort of fetish or what you were saying earlier. It just, it, it, it wasn't a thing for me, but also I'm, I'm very naive too. So uh, I was just kind of taking it like, okay, so that's, I mean, okay. So towards the end of his life, he liked black men. All right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because he did photograph. There were several where there was a black man and a white one, a white man. Remember? Do you oh, remember? The, yeah, they both had. There was a whole series. Yeah, so cool. These two men had alopecia, and it was photographing them together. Well, okay, so they were the ones who were talking about how there wasn't always this meaning because there was. Uh, yes, that's right. Photo. <laughs> of, so they're standing, and and there's so the black man is facing one way, and the white man is behind him with his chin over his shoulder. Right. And I guess there are people who have looked at that and have tried to say that it's about like white man's dominance over black men. And, and, and the black man who was in that photo was laughing at how stupid that was. And right. he said it was because his neck was too short to fit yeah. over his <laughs> shoulder. They actually tried both positions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's also hard to say kind of either way on these things too, because right. We're watching one documentary. We never saw the shows that were put on. And there were shows that were put on where it was like nothing but black men in it. And you can buy books still of like that collection, but I'm not going to. I like even his most famous picture, I never saw. I never even it never was in my my world. Which one did, um, did you mean? The, the uh, in the suit, the business in the suit. suit. Yeah, the, that's like his most famous. Yep. Yeah. It's a beautifully done. Never photo but never um, and so I did I mean clearly you didn't remember because you didn't know who he was at all and I don't think I was old enough to pay attention but I didn't know that he was part of this like massive controversy they were showing his work they were touring I forget what they called it the perfect something or other but they were it was three of his collections so there was there was that really infamous one that I was talking about called x which has like the really provocative stuff and then there was one that was like a series of um, XYZ. Yeah, it was XYZ. So X was like the really like that. That was the provocative stuff, the bullwhip and the anus and the fisting. And there's one of like one man urinating into another man's mouth and some other ones. And then there was one of the collections was portraits, including some famous people like Donald Sutherland. And then I forget what the other one was. Was it flowers? I think it's like all the stuff. All the thing, yeah. It was like he he loved to photograph flowers. He was yeah, he was brilliant it was at it. Flowers. And then when it went to show in Washington D.C., I guess Jesse Helms lost his damn mind. And <laughs> and the whole thing, like I have to admit, I had heard of Jesse Helms before. I didn't really know who he was. To be fair, I still don't fully know who he was, except that he was some fucking asshole politician who hated everybody. I mostly heard about him as a racist. Which I believe he was, wasn't he? Wasn't he like a horrible racist? 
I am looking it up now. Like, what is his claim to fame? But he was also very clear, like a gigantic, like, this isn't, this isn't art. This is film. Senator from North Carolina. I couldn't remember what, what the Horrible. state was. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> I was telling Chris before, I was like, I was writing up my notes for talking about this. And I have one bullet about Jesse Helms and all it says is just fuck Jesse Helms. And you know what? I stand by. <laughs> True. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was like, you need to come up here and I'm not, I can't even show these. I will not show these pictures, but they're here. Come look at them. It was right. What yeah. a loser. And so then it, you know, it kind of ends with he, he got AIDS and yep. it went pretty quickly and he died. What was it? The mid nineties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mid nineties. I think 90 maybe but so, yeah I, it was he was a beautiful man like his whole life he was just a beautiful man I thought he was beautiful yeah and he was. so here's one thing so I didn't know by watching the documentary I did not know because of course I didn't know who he was but I think we've all seen a picture that he did and it's Patty Smith's album cover horses yes he did that and I, so I was like oh yeah okay I've seen the picture a thousand times but yeah. you know I didn't know like that was <laughs> He did some of the most famous photographs of Patti Smith. Like if you think of any iconic photograph of her back in the day, he probably did most of them. I think like Bob Gruen did some other ones, like some of those photographers who were on the punk scene would have done some of them, but he did some of the most iconic and he was in some of the most iconic photos with her. Although I also have to say like it really, I had really complicated feelings about just kids after watching this. Because it shows how like when he finds out that he has AIDS and when he starts to realize that it's a problem, that it's turned like it's turning into a real serious thing and his health is getting worse and he's dying. And they talk, you know, they had his assistants on his brother, as well as a few others um, talking about how he basically photographed almost nonstop. He took commissions for everything. He reached out to specific friends even or people he had photographed before saying like, you need me to photograph you because this is going to be the last one. Mm -hmm. He didn't want, he had like all this money and, and it was just as he was really making and he was trying to make as much money as he could. And he didn't want to leave it to anyone because his whole thing was like, I need to leave a legacy. I need to be as famous as possible. I need everybody to know who I am and what I did. And so he leaves this uh, charitable foundation or he established a charitable foundation, which probably exists to this day, which is like, fine. It's absolutely fine to leave your money to charity to establish a foundation. But it really made me rethink Just Kids, which is such a beautifully written, incredibly moving book. And she talks about how at the end of his life, he said, Patty, you need to tell our story. You need to make sure everyone knows our story. And I saw it as we had this beautiful, incredible relationship. We were so important to each other. The world needs to know about it. And after watching the documentary, it makes me question if that was actually true or if it was just part of my legacy needs to live on. I need to continue in people's memory. I need to still be a part of the consciousness and you can help me do this because we had this relationship. And I don't know if that's fair, but I also feel like it might be because the documentary was really interesting in the sense that he was not portrayed as a saint. Oh, no. he was portrayed as talented 
as selfish as like he was multifaceted I don't know like and it's definitely like it's left me thinking since then I feel like anything that makes me think that much and also like it just really helped plug in a piece of that history for me hearing about how much he and war like how much Warhol hated him I thought oh yeah there was a rival there he wanted to he wanted to beat Warhol like money wise like how much does he have versus how much do I have Yes, but Warhol didn't like him either. And then seeing <laughs> the portraits they took of each other, both incredible in their own way. So yes, I absolutely recommend this. It's a beautifully done documentary of a complicated but important LGBTQ figure in our history. For sure. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll get notified when we release an episode. Or if you have a friend that you think would like the show, please tell them all about it. I feel like people need queer media recommendations now more than ever. Yes. Again, if you'd like to support the show, we have a link to Kofi in our show notes, or you can visit kofi.com slash queerly recommended. Not necessary. Absolutely appreciated. Yes. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, just search for Queerly Recommended on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Yay! Yay. It's a Tuesday. Are Tuesday episodes even more chaotic than? I think so. I think so. Woof. No more. No more. No more Tuesdays. Announcements. <laughs> no more Tuesdays. All right. I'm going to stop recording. Recording Ooh. in progress, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Maybe I'll get a little drink of water. Yeah. A little, little bit. Like my bathroom is two steps away. So if I have to excuse myself, it takes two seconds. <laughs> all this water (laughs) (coughs) yeah that's good all right are you ready how's my hearing how's my hearing (laughs) how's my sound (laughs) you sound good how's mine yeah you sound good too okay so i probably (coughs) i probably don't need to acknowledge the lack of my microphone no you don't need to acknowledge it okay fuck those haters as long as you stay close (laughs) i think you sound good this close okay so, are you wearing lipstick no okay it looks like it you're wearing was, lipstick it was, t- it was a tinted lip balm <laughs> ah, girl when you're running out of your other lip balms and you find the one at the bottom of the- <laughs> <laughs> that's the the one thing i love about myself mm-hmm. color of my lips mm-hmm. never in my life have i ever worn lipstick I don't wear it very often. I don't like it. I don't like how. Yeah, I don't. Like, I barely can get by with chapstick. I don't oh, like to have anything on my lips. I have. I have to have that. I don't like. I mean, I have to have it, but I don't. I don't even like it. Oh well. Yeah.
I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I got nothing. Okay. Okay. Right. <clears throat>